your ears are the most important tool to taking decisions. And if something doesn't sound right to you, uh, you should fix it. But you only you will know that, okay? And you need to use your ears and, and, and really ask yourself, does it sound the way you want it? Make that decision, commit to it, you know? And make the mistakes. And if you make a mistake, then, then make it better. Welcome to the Stock Music Licensing Podcast, the number one resource for creating passive income selling stock music online. I'm your host, Daniel Carrizales, and I'm here to help you monetize your compositions. Welcome to episode 13 of the Stock Music Licensing Podcast. Now, I'm very excited for you to be here. Thank you very much for hanging out. Today, we're going to be talking about mixing and mastering your own music track. This is a very important uh, aspect of uh, music licensing as a, as a composer. We are wearing different hats and we have to mix our tracks ourselves. And uh, this is a very valuable scale as a composer for, for media or for, for music licensing. And we have to master our track as well. A very crucial um, aspect, as you say, of this process of uh, music licensing. Now, before we get into the content of this episode, I want to let you know that I have done a EQ cheat sheet, and that will help you um, have really quick access to to very important frequencies on different instruments. And uh, you can download this uh, cheat sheet at stockmusiclicensing.com slash EQ. And uh, there I am uh, breaking down pretty much the important uh, frequencies of uh, individual instruments like uh, a kick drum or a snare, uh, piano, guitars, uh, strings, and and, and what are the frequencies that you should actually go and, and start uh, manipulating and uh, either cutting or boosting depending on the instrument? And this will help you really uh, speed up the process of uh, EQing. So again, you can download that uh, cheat sheet at stockmusiclicensing.com slash EQ. And I will leave this link anyways on the show notes. Um, you might be on the, on the go right now. You might not be able to access this uh, a link, so I will leave it on the show notes anyway, so you can download this uh, cheat sheet uh, for you. Now, let's really dive in immediately on mixing and mastering. We we've mentioned that we are uh, these two important aspects of uh, music production, and uh, when it comes down to music licensing, this is a very important aspect. And and we are wearing, uh, for sure, like I mentioned before, different hats. We are the composer. We are the arranger, we are the mixer, we are the mastering uh, engineer as well of our own music. And uh, there is a little bit of confusion out there as well when it comes down to, to mastering. Uh, some people uh, don't know that they really have to master their own tracks. Uh, there's a lot of confusion as well when it comes down to mixing your own music. And I want to help you. Uh, in this episode to really uh, get rid of that overwhelm, okay? And uh, we're going to do this uh, very, very simple uh, steps that you can follow. And uh, and really, what tools to use to make this uh, process as well very easy. And it, it, this it all starts with uh, composition. Once your composition is uh, sound, as we say, or is in place, meaning that you have developed your chords uh, progression, you have uh, developed uh, a melody, and uh, you have done your arrangement as well, and you have a structure, you have your song, okay? You have all the instruments, and uh, and obviously that the next step after this is a mixing of those instruments, mixing the actual uh, composition and arrangement that you have already worked on. Now, traditionally, this is done as a separate um, event or as a separate activity. Uh, but when we're being, uh, when we're a composer for music licensing, uh, we are doing this um, pretty much at the same time. And bear with me here while I uh, explain myself. What I mean by that is that, yes, there is a point where you actually have to to start composing your track. You are you're actually writing your core progression, your melody, your motifs, and uh, and then you go into the arrangement mode as well very quickly, and try to develop your idea. As we're introducing instruments and doing uh, arrangement you're really already starting to to mix, meaning that you have to take quick decisions of how how loud or how low uh, your uh, different instruments uh, are in relationship to each other. And the reason why you do this is that when we're composing music for media, 
um, we need to work fast. When you're a composer for media, you do all of these things yourself. Uh, and I'm talking about uh, composing for not only music licenses, but specifically for royalty-free libraries. So you do need to have this skill under your belt. And uh, it's, it's a very simple process, really. So uh, the best way to approach mixing, and we'll get into mastering later on, is by actually, once you start composing your track and you are introducing elements, and let's say that you start with some guitar, some piano, and some drums. So you have three elements there, right there. At that point, you already need to take quick decisions of uh, first, what kind of uh, sounds these instruments are gonna be having, and then you're gonna be deciding as well in terms of levels. And by that, I mean that you just control the levels uh, with the fader. And, and nothing else. We're not talking about plugins at this point, just in terms of uh, how loud this instrument is in relationship to the instrument next to it. So if you have drums, guitars, and a, and a piano, you have to make a quick decisions of uh, what instrument is going to be louder or is going to be having a, a, a certain character in terms of the presence that it's going to be having. So if, uh, let's say that I'm working on a, on a rock track, um, uh, or, or a pop rock track, uh, most likely my guitar is going to be really uh, present in this uh, particular composition. So the guitar is going to really be up front, uh, and, and it's, it's going to be uh, really be uh, the main character, if you will, in this uh, composition. Uh, the piano is going to be serving a, a different purpose. It's going to be probably giving me a little bit of a more atmosphere, uh, depending on what arrangement it is. But let's assume that for now the piano part is playing uh, at the same chord progression as the guitar. So it's pretty pretty much just supporting the the chord uh, the chord progression on this particular track. Uh, so I, I would like to, to make sure that I'm taking these decisions earlier on in the composition stage, and the same goes with the drums. I want to make sure that I have the right uh, kick drum for this particular track and, and the right tone for that particular uh, snare as well. What kind of sounds do I want? This is very important to have uh, taken these uh, decisions earlier on in the composition stage because it's going to make the mixing process uh, so much more uh, easy. So once we take this commitment uh, earlier on, uh, then we start to introduce other elements and other instruments uh, uh, to our composition. Uh, at the same time, we're slowly mixing and uh, we're really doing what is called a, a static mix. And a static mix is pretty much nothing more than just mixing your tracks uh, with a fader and, uh, and the pan pot and pretty much just deciding if a, a certain guitar part is going to go to the left or to the right or into the center. So let's say that I have uh, introduced another guitar part uh, doing something uh, either similar or different. Uh, so now I have two guitars, one piano and, and a drum uh, track. What I will do is that I will decide the volume or the levels of these instruments individually. Uh, and at the same time, I'm taking decisions as well uh, where this guitar part or this second guitar part is going to go. Is it going to go uh, hard pan to the left or right? Or is it going to go in the center or in the middle? So these are very important decisions that you're making as you go along. So what we're doing here or what you should be doing is that as you're writing, you're taking quick decisions. Mind you that this will change. Uh, the more instruments that you start to add to your composition and your arrangement, you you will start feeling that, okay, that guitar part could be a little bit too loud, so now you have to bring it down in relationship to the piano uh, or, or a bass that you might uh, record and uh, some strings maybe. And, and it really depends, obviously, on the genre as well. So I'm just using one of my tracks as a reference here, which could be like a pop rock. Uh, kind of track, and I know it can be hard uh, just uh, talking about it without actually seeing something or hearing a, a particular track, but if we use an example uh, of a different genre or style, or let's say that we're working with uh, on a hip-hop track, then we pretty much know already that uh, the kick drum should be really <laughs> one of the main uh, driving force of this uh, particular track. So the kick drum and the bass 
and anything at the low end of the spectrum is, is really important if I want a really uh, hot uh, hip hop track. That being said, depends on as well of the style within or the subgenre of hip hop of uh, how do we want a particular sound. Uh, but we were we kind of like know that uh, the, the drums uh, play a very important uh, aspect in hip hop, and the rhythm as well, and uh, and the low end uh, should be really present. The same goes with electronic music or EDM. If we're talking about cinematic music, then we know that we need to focus a lot on. And if I'm talking about cinematic music, I'm talking about uh, something with a lot of uh, orchestral uh, instruments like. Uh, cellos and uh, violins and in combination of uh, different, uh, I don't know, brass instruments and uh, even orchestral percussion. So obviously this will play a different um, role when it comes down to not only the instrumentation, but as well the, the levels and how the instruments are really positioned in the stereo field. So at this point, regardless of the genre, we're working only with a fader and we're working only with our pan pod, which is what is called, again, the static mix. But this process, this uh, mixing process, we're doing it as we're composing and as we're arranging the track. So uh, really the lines become very blurry uh, between composition and arrangement and mixing. Everything starts to become one, one process uh, when, when you're a composer for media. And it's the fastest way, it's the easiest way to to actually uh, mix your track. Because, like I said, mixing is not something that you're going to do the next day once you have laid down the tracks. The idea is to, as you're working, you're wearing all of these uh, different hats and and that will make the, the end process much faster and quicker, okay? So after we have introduced all the uh, the rest of the instruments to... To our composition, and uh, we have started uh, deciding where the faders are going to go uh, in terms of volume. We only want to be sure that we're uh, making decisions and, and commitments as well of where the instruments are going to go in the stereo field with the pan pot and the faders as well. And now, before I carry on, I want to mention you as well that it's very important that you have a very healthy uh, signal, a strong signal. Uh, when it comes down to to your instrument. So, for example, if I'm recording my guitar, I want to make sure that my guitar level going inside the project, inside the, the channel of the mixer, should be around minus 18 uh, in, in terms of reading. So that can have enough headroom of uh, once I can start uh, adding uh, different uh, elements of... Uh, different instruments, all of these uh, signals, they're going to add up in terms of uh, sonic uh, volume. So again, this is something that is a very simple uh, concepts when it comes down to mixing and, and sound, but it's, uh, it's pretty much like a, like a chain reaction. So once you have one instrument that is going into the mixer in a particular channel, a minus 18, and this is on a, an average in terms of level, and you have another one at the same uh, level, this can slowly add up, and this will go into the master fader, uh, all summed up pretty much. So that's why we have to be careful as well to not record uh, individual instruments, either virtual or real instruments, uh, too hot in, in uh, individual channels. Now, this might seem like it's a little bit of a boring subject, or it might be like it's a very boring um, concepts to grasp on a podcast, but uh, trust me, there's, it's just very simple. And, and we're talking about pretty much to just keep in mind uh, in terms of uh, what's going in, in terms of volume, which is called pretty much a, a term that is called gain staging as well. So uh, gain staging is a very important aspect of this. And, and why is it this also important? Well, this is all very important because uh, we are working here with uh, audio, uh, but we're not introducing any plugin uh, at all at this stage. And so the idea is that if you do have already a few instruments that are, the levels are at minus 18, and as an average going in into the mixer, into your session, then you have a proper headroom, you have a, enough volume uh, per instrument, 
and then you can actually decide how loud you have that instrument. The fader should be obviously at 0 dB, and you bring that down uh, accordingly if you want, uh, if the instrument is too, too loud, or if you want it a little bit uh, higher, you just bring the fader up. Uh, and this is really a simple process of uh, practice and to taste. This is, there's no right way to do it, or there's no wrong way to do it. It just depends on your judgment, on how you want to listen to your own track, how you want to listen to your own composition. And really, Take the time to close your eyes and really listen and use your ears. Don't use your eyes when it comes down to to, to making decisions, uh, when it comes down to volume. Can I hear this uh, drum hitting here? Can I hear the guitar part played? Can I hear the piano in the background? And really go for uh, that fader and the pan, the pan pot as well deciding where this particular instrument is going to live in the stereo field. So, uh, and another thing to consider as well when actually positioning uh, instruments in, in the stereo field with your pan pot is to try to go either uh, far left or far right and in the center. And the reason why is uh, because uh, you can put it at no positions and we refer to the pan pot position uh, the same way that you will refer to uh, on a clock. Uh, if you have a, a clock, uh, you can say that the pan pot is at 9 o'clock uh, or 12 o'clock will be the middle, will be the center. So 12 o'clock will be the center. That's where the pan pot is positioned as a default. So if you want to move it a little bit to the left, you can say, okay, it's going to be at 11 o'clock. And if you want to be a little bit further uh, to the left, it will be at 10 o'clock. And if you want it at 9 o'clock, it will be uh, pretty much like halfway there. And then all the way down, it should be pretty much 6 o'clock uh, or all the way down to the, to the left. The same goes to the right. And uh, if you want to create a really wide stereo feel, uh, you should uh, focus on the center or just pretty much far left or far right uh, as a start, okay? Because you're going to create a, a big uh, separation is what it's called. Uh, you can create the instrument. It's going to be played or it's going to be he heard from a far right or far left or in the middle. And in the middle, this usually left for the kick drum, the, the snare, and the bass. Uh, and we're not talking about vocals mixing here. We're not uh, talking about somebody singing. We're just talking uh, specifically about instrumental music. So uh, anything else like strings, guitars, and uh, other elements could go in the stereo field uh, as wide as possible. Um, and, and it's up to you to decide how how much separation you want in the, in your instruments and how much you want that stereo field to be as wide as possible. So once we're doing this, we're already mixing. We haven't introduced any uh, yeah, any plugins whatsoever to the mixing process uh, because one of one of the first uh, mistakes that a lot of uh, composers do is that they start introducing uh, plugins immediately into the mixing process before they have taken the decision of actually using the fader and the pan pot. You should be able to mix your music just using the fader and the pan pot. And this is a self-imposed limitation, if you will, but it's actually helping you making decisions in terms of like where does it live in, in the stereo field and how loud do I want that particular instrument and how they relate to each other. And uh, this is a very good habit to get into um, because the very first uh, plugin that we're going to introduce at this point is going to be an EQ. And the EQ is the most important tool that you have in order to shape not only individual uh, instruments and, and tracks, but the mix as a whole. So the EQ is a very important tool, and uh, it's an art in itself to actually uh, know how to use an EQ. And uh, a few things to consider when EQing is to know what frequencies are um, the most important on at any given time on an instrument. 
So for example, if we have a snare, uh, you should know already that the 200 hertz uh, should be considered where uh, the, the fullness or the, the, the sound of this uh, particular instrument is living. Uh, at least the, the fatness or the, the meat of the snare lives around that area, around 200 uh, hertz. And, uh, and that's why I created the, the, the cheat sheet, the EQ cheat sheet. So you can actually have access to this EQ frequencies. And you can actually just go and, and, and really start uh, actually boosting or cutting depending on what sounds you want to get rid of. So you might want to emphasize uh, certain frequencies that are really important at any given time on a particular instrument. There's uh, different ways to use EQ. There's uh, a way to, to actually just get rid of things first and not really boost anything. That's a school of thought. And then there's another school of thought that is just really use the EQ as drastically as you want, meaning that you can actually, uh, if you need to really emphasize a lot, um, on a particular uh, frequency and go really, really extreme with the with, with the EQ, then that's what needs to be done. And, and really, don't don't get confused by what your your eyes see because you might see that there's uh, it could be like a drastic uh, increase in frequencies and in volume. But if that sounds good to you, and that's what it needs to be done, then you should do that. So. Um, again, there's a lot of uh, school of thoughts when it comes down to, to applying uh, EQ. And the best way to do it is to first be informed of what frequencies you're working with on a particular instrument. Uh, and second of all, know how to get rid of uh, bad frequencies. And you get, uh, you get rid of bad frequencies by knowing that certain frequencies do not uh, live in this particular instrument. So, for example, if we go to to a bass instrument, we know that a bass doesn't have much high high end frequencies. So, uh, you can literally filter out a lot of uh, the high end uh, frequencies up to a point because it just doesn't. There's there's nothing there. It's just a lot of bass, you know, and that's what the bass instrument is. It just has a lot of low end frequencies. So you should focus on that. That doesn't mean that you're gonna uh, keep on boosting the the low end. But you have to work with the frequencies which are called the fundamental frequencies of any particular instrument. The same goes with a kick, the same goes with a snare in every individual instrument. So this is something that is a study in itself, but there are a little bit of shortcuts out there. And uh, the, the best shortcut apart from the cheat sheet that I have created for you, uh, because I use this kind of uh, cheat sheet myself, to, to know the frequencies that I, I need to focus very quickly. Uh, but the best uh, advice here is to, to trust your ears. Uh, again, your ears are the most important tool as well to taking decisions. And if something doesn't sound right to you, uh, you should fix it. But you only you will know that, okay? And you need to use your ears and, and, and really ask yourself, does it sound the way you want it? Make that decision, commit to it, you know, and make the mistakes. And if you make a mistake, then, then make it better. Uh, but know that you're, you're working with a certain frequencies that are the fundamental frequencies of that particular instrument at, at any given point. So you're not really uh, emphasizing something that is not, that doesn't belong in that instrument, that doesn't, it's not part of the instrument, okay? So again, EQ is the very first uh, plugin that we're going to introduce into into our mix, and uh, at this point, you should have already been, uh, you should have already decided what particular instruments uh, go uh, louder than others. And uh, remember, mixing is just uh, intuition and decision making. So you really have to follow your your gut feeling. Now I know that this sounds a little bit confusing, and it might sound a little bit overwhelming, like over a podcast to talk about it with actually hearing or seeing something. Uh, but these are very uh, basic concepts that you can grasp uh, as you're listening to, to me talking. So after the EQ, which is, again, the most important tool, the most important uh, plug-in that you have, and it doesn't matter what uh, EQ you're using, I always work with uh, stock plugins, meaning that I use EQs that come with my DAW. They're free. 
There's nothing special. They, you don't need to spend money on something expensive. Just use the cheapest one that you have available and really master it, okay? They all do the same thing. Some of them have different characters to it. But we're going here for results and we're going here for efficiency, okay? And, and really trust your ears by actually uh, manipulate the, the, the actual plugin. Don't be afraid to bring the frequencies up or down. And by that, I mean that if you have to bring the, the, the EQ all the way up to plus 12 or minus 12 uh, dB in terms of manipulation of the frequency, you should be doing that. And just really push it and see what happens in that particular instrument, trying to find that frequency that is making that particular sound and try to either get rid of it or emphasize it and, and really uh, trust your ears, you know. But what we want with our mixes is clarity. We want our mixes to be clean, and the only way to achieve this is with an EQ uh, because the EQ is the one that's going to clean up your mix. Nothing. If you cannot clean your mix with an EQ, nothing else will, okay? So at this point, uh, the EQ, you have to think about it. Um, the EQ is like a volume control in itself. That's how you should visualize a, a, an EQ. And uh, when you're uh, messing about with frequencies, you're literally bringing the volume up of certain frequencies within that instrument or within that track. So that's another way to, to really think about EQing, thinking about volume. So at this stage, not only have we decided what the volumes or what level a particular instrument or track is going to have uh, in relationship to the other ones with our fader, but at the same time, we're starting to really uh, focus uh, more by deciding how, how loud we want that particular frequency to live uh, by uh, EQing. And, and really uh, zooming in, really. That's what we're doing with an EQ. We're really going deeper and deeper into the audio and really actually emphasizing what we want to be emphasized and getting rid of all of that thing that it doesn't need to be there. And it's important to, to note here that you should be making EQ decisions uh, while you're listening to your mix, not on solo, okay? This is another very important tip here. You might want to solo a particular instrument and really look for a particular frequency and try to to, to locate it or to find it and, and then do either get rid of it or emphasize it. But as a rule of thumb, you should start EQing while you're listening to the mix as a whole because you're actually EQing uh, an instrument in relationship to the other instruments in the mix. Okay, Nobody listens to the track in solo. Because when you're making uh, decisions with an EQ, uh, while you're soloing, it, it might sound very different once you disengage that solo uh, in relationship to the, the other instruments in your mix. So get into that habit of uh, do not solo while you're EQing uh, any instrument. And the way to do that is to just play your mix as you're doing and really, once you introduce the EQ in a piano or a bass or whatever, just really start EQing it, okay? And try to emphasize those frequencies that are the fundamentals of that particular instrument while listening to the mix as a whole. And do next to, don't do any soloing at all, really. Just do it as a confirmation. Because uh, uh, amateurs usually do it the other way around. Amateurs will just solo the kick drum and insert uh, uh, an EQ and, and then just go for, for <laughs> days on end, try to EQ a, a drum kit, uh, a kick drum on solo, only to find out that when the, the, the drum kit sounds fantastic when it's solo, uh, when they disengage the solo button, they realize that the kick drum sounds completely different in relationship to the other instruments in the mix. That's why you have to mix, uh, that's why you have to EQ uh, with all the instruments being heard at the same time so you can really take decisions that make sense to that particular mix, okay? Uh, this is, uh, if, you, if you don't take anything from this uh, episode, this is it, okay? Do not EQ uh, in, in solo. It's a game changer. It's a really hard uh, habit to, <laughs> to give up, to actually not use the solo button when EQing. 
but uh, you have to try it and you really have to get out of that habit of soloing every single instrument and try to to manipulate it in solo because it's going to sound different once you disengage that uh, solo button and bring that instrument back into the mix. So that's a very important point here. So at this point, your mix should sound very clear and very clean and very punchy because uh, frequencies have been put where they need to be uh, put and the volumes have been as well been taken care of with the faders and with our static mix, with our pan pot. Uh, certain instruments should be living in certain places, either left, right, or the center for now. Uh, you can always change the, the pan pot or the stereo positioning uh, as you go along. But for now, we're just focusing on these three positions and, and really commit to that and say this, this guitar is going to go to the left or to the right or it's going to go to the center, nothing else, uh, just to make it easier on you. And uh, it's a very it's a game changer as well because that's the way to to create a, a wide stereo feel immediately. Um, so after this, what we're gonna do is uh, introduce uh, compression. Uh, but before we carry on with compression, it's a very important to note that uh, not every instrument is gonna need EQing. Okay, there might be at times that you might not need to EQ anything because it's being that's the sound that it's supposed to have. That instrument is the way it's supposed to sound, and you might not need to do much to it, really. And again, this goes down to, to your own judgment, to your own decision-making and saying, um, does this need to be fixed? And if it doesn't need to be fixed, then I shouldn't do anything to it. And that's a very important decision to make. And, and it all, this only comes with practice, really, okay? Now, moving on will be the EQ. After the EQ, uh, it will be a compressor. So the compressors uh, is a very important as well tool to use when it comes down to mixing because they're going to control the dynamic range of uh, individual instruments. And this, again, this is an art in itself. Compressor is another topic that is really intimidating for most people, even experienced uh, composers and producers because they don't really understand uh, what a compressor does and, and what it should be doing. Uh, but compressors, what it does as well to your mixes uh, after you have done EQing to a particular instrument is that it gives a character to different uh, instruments. And uh, again, I'm talking here about stock plugins. I'm talking about stock compressors. And uh, even by just running your instrument through a compressor, doing very little compression, uh, some of them, they do add some character because they have been uh, modeled uh, after some uh, compressors, analog compressors, and they have different, all kinds of uh, weird harmonic uh, enhancement. Uh, they're very, very subtle, but it does affect the waveform and it gives a little bit of character or color, I should say, to certain instruments. And it's, again, this is uh, applied to taste. Uh, compressors, you don't need to, to add compression to every single instrument. Uh, compression is, uh, is used widely to create more punch or to really affect the the transients of certain uh, instruments as well, if you want to. And this could be used in a very dramatic way as an effect, or it could be used uh, in a more organic way. And compressions really were invented back in the day uh, for radio shows. And so so when you speak, for example, or, or this is a good example, actually, what I'm doing here. I'm talking uh, with a microphone, uh, but I'm running the microphone uh, through a compressor a very, uh, it's a very subtle compressor, okay? Uh, and what it does is that when I'm, when you're hearing my voice, even if I talk a little bit louder, it will bring the volume of my voice uh, down. So it really a compressor, you have, you can think about it as a, as a manual fader, really. So when the volume gets really loud, it will bring it down. And if it goes very low as well, you can actually uh, have like a, a very even uh, volume and compressors and expanders 
and gates are different tools that they control the dynamic range of your mixes or your instrument. Again, I know this this could sound like a boring subject on a podcast. I gotta confess, but um, it's nice to talk about it like this, and and I just wanted to talk about it in a, in a very casual way, maybe just. Uh, uh, demystify, if, if you will, some uh, very boring audio concepts, but how can you apply this to your mixes? And, and I think the more we go into, into details of how to mix and how to master, uh, the more you will find that, that once you have the aspects of uh, EQing and compression, it can become something easier. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that mixing should be something simple. It shouldn't be something complicated. And uh, the, the most important aspect of it is just uh, EQing and compression. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, anything after that is a very is, is to taste. You know, you put as much. Uh, uh, echo or reverb what you want in, in particular instruments but uh, this again is a very subtle when it comes down to 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 adding effects and compressor I use compression very very subtle I use them I use compression as a way to add in color to certain instruments and they're compressing very very little because um, uh, the dynamic range or the way it's been programmed or played, I play a lot of uh, my own instruments. And uh, I tend to compress a lot on the master bus in very subtle ways just to glue the mix. And I like to keep things simple. Simple is the name of the game when it comes down to mixing and mastering and music licensing. We don't have uh, three days to go through different plugins and see which compressor sounds best on a particular drum kit. Okay, that's... This is not what we're doing here. Uh, so it's a quick decision making, adding the compressor, and if it sounds bad or it sounds good, you take that commitment, you, you take that decision, and you move on. So I like to use compressors in that way. I don't like to really use it as an effect. I just like to uh, put it in certain instruments and add a particular color or flavor and do very little compressor, very little compression. I mean, I'm talking about minus 2 dB uh, of gain reduction at times, and sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's not a lot. It's less than that. Uh, not a lot of gain reduction uh, because I, I like to keep things organic, or at least for my style of music. Uh, but I want to keep things simple, and I want to keep everything as organic as possible and not be uh, relying so much on on compression for for that either. So uh, we're coming here to an end of this particular episode on mixing and mastering for music licensing. And uh, notice that mastering, we haven't even touched on the subject of mastering. Because mastering, when it comes down to music licensing, uh, is the same process as what I am describing here. Mastering should be the easiest part of your process. Um, a lot of composers and a lot of producers have this uh, thing backwards. They think that the mastering process should be this magical black art or this uh, a thing that only a few people know how to do and it takes this uh, X amount of time to, to execute in order to make your song to sound amazing. And the reality of it is that if you have a good composition, and if you have a good arrangement with the right instrument, if you have a good mix, okay, you will have a good master. You cannot have one without the other. It's like a chain reaction. So if you have a very bad composition, meaning that the chords are not really flowing the way it should, there's no energy in the actual uh, melodies and the energy of the song, you cannot, make, you cannot fix that with uh, an EQ. You cannot fix that with a compressor. So when you get to the mastering part, uh, if you haven't done your job earlier on in terms of levels, uh, gain staging, a static mix, and where this particular instrument lives in the stereo field, then it's going to be really, really hard to, to master this track because you don't, have a, you don't have a lot of separation. You have conflicting uh, uh, frequencies. 
masking frequencies, frequencies that are on top of each other and make you, uh, that you're not able to listen to. And, and this is a, a whole bunch of uh, audio and sound engineering concepts that are so boring for us composers. And even though I have a lot of experience when it comes down to, to sound engineering and working in studios and mixing and mastering and, and recording, uh, I consider myself an artist and, and the knowledge, I just uh, absorb it and then throw it away and then try to dissect what's the most important aspects of it so I can pass that on to others. Because it's, it can be very overwhelming, but you only need to know certain uh, steps and, and tips that it can save you a lot of time and it can make your music sound so much better. Mastering, the only plugins that you should be using and mastering, it should be, again, the same. It should be an EQ, it should be a compressor, and it should be a limiter or just an enhancement or a ultra maximizer. It's just pretty much something that brings the levels up, okay? There's nothing else that you should be putting in your master uh, fader, Okay, and the way you master your music track is that you have your session, okay, and your mix session. You have all your mix uh, is ready to be bounced, and you bounce your mix, your final mix, your stereo file. After you have bounced your, your mix into a stereo file, you put that same uh, stereo file your, or your mix as a whole into a brand new session in your DAW a new brand new project and you should have just a, a stereo channel with your mix and what this does is that it just uh, uh, it prevents you from going back to the mixing process so this is probably the first time that you're going to separate yourself from from the whole process and say the mix is done i cannot go back to it uh, i mean you could obviously you can open the session again but you have already done a bounce, you have already bounced your mix, you have committed to a stereo file, and now you're just uh, inserting that same stereo file into a new session or a new project in your DAW. And uh, what you're gonna be doing is that you're gonna be putting in uh, your, uh, your mix uh, a brand new EQ, and this uh, EQ is gonna be making very subtle uh, EQs if, it needs to be EQ. If there's something that is across the mix that is bothering you, uh, and usually if you have some kind of boxiness, usually is uh, if you have something, some kind of frequencies that are conflicting with each other as a whole, as a mix, then you will probably try to get rid of it. Or if you don't have enough uh, high end, you will probably just uh, give it a little bit of a higher end or maybe uh, clean up a little bit the bass as a whole, but you have to be very careful here with the master. The master will really affect in the whole mix as a whole. So I have had mixes that I don't really touch the EQ at all. And uh, if you get to that point, then you know that you have done a good job with your mixing. Uh, I insert a, uh, an EQ to my mix uh, when mastering just out of habit, just to have it there, just in case. But more often than not, I don't touch the EQ on my master because I'm really happy with uh, the frequency response. Uh, when it comes down to the, to the compressor, I compress very little uh, in the, the mixing process, well, in the mastering process. I, I will just use a generic compressor, again, all stock plugins. And at this point, I'm using the compressor with very, very little uh, ratio and a very, very little uh, gain reduction as well. I'm just using it again to add character to the mix as a whole so I can glue the whole mix and maybe give it a little bit of more volume. And then finally, I will just uh, run the whole mix through a limiter or a ultra maximizer, which is just going to give you volume nothing else it's just going to bring it down and you just decide how how that's going to be how hot is going to be your mix a lot of composers seem to obsess with uh, the numbers when it comes down to how hot it should be and depending what information they have uh, heard or read on on different forums online and what's the standard in terms of level 
And uh, the, the rule of thumb is just to make, depending on the genre, again, uh, if just make your music as loud as possible uh, without clipping, okay? And again, nowadays it's, it's pointless as well to go beyond because uh, most uh, streaming places and... And, but I don't want to talk about streaming services or YouTube or, or the other because I think they are nowadays they're slowly normalizing that. So even if you make it very loud, they're going to bring it down. So you're not doing yourselves any favors anyway. You're just going to make your music sound like crap. Very Everything's going to be clipping. So believe it or not, there's a lot of music on Audio Jungle that is clipping. As you can tell that they have gone way beyond uh, with a limiter and just make that song or the music very loud and it's just distorted all, all over the place and there's nothing worse than, than than having a digital distortion like that on your final product, on your music. So I just use it to bring the volume up uh, as hot as possible without being so artificial is the word. Try not to sound so artificial. Again, these are very boring uh, concepts for a podcast in terms of talking about mixing and mastering but there are a lot of services out there online that you can actually just send them your file your your mix and they will master it based on some kind of algorithm and some presets and you know uh, you can do that if you want to i have heard some results uh, i just like to know i just like to be informed myself and and I guess it's going back to the control freak kind of thing. Like, really, I like to control. And I like to be in control of the mastering process because I feel more hands-on. And I want to understand, really. I want to understand what's happening with my with my mixes. And, and I know that the mastering process is not a lot. It's not much, so I don't want to pay for that because I know it's just a compressor and a, a limiter. So, so mastering is this thing that people are, seem to be very scared about. But when it comes down to music licensing, if you have done your homework, if you have done your what you need to do at the beginning with your arrangement, your mixing, your your faders, faders, and, and the pan pot are so it's so simple that if you get that right at that stage, then the, the EQing and the compressor and the mix becomes uh, something that you can enjoy. It should be something that you should enjoy and not dread, really. And, and then the master is just, you know, once, once you start mastering, you know that you're done, pretty much. You don't have to do much, you know? And if you find yourself in the mastering, if you're in a session of your own music, and you feel really uncomfortable about some levels or some frequencies and some things, you know that you have to go back to your session and mix again. And, and that's a learning uh, curve. It's a learning process, and only you will know because you know that you cannot fix it in the master stage. And the same goes with the mixing process. If you're mixing your track and you see that no matter what EQ uh, setting you use to fix it in the mix, like they say, you know that you have to go back to the recording uh, phase and, and fix it there. And uh, there should be not much to fix because everything should be right from the start. Uh, every single step of the way, every chain, it, like I said, it's like a chain reaction. So once you have one right, you have the second one should be okay. And the mastering, when you get to the mastering, you should just be really enjoying the process. You know that you're almost done. And and this process is, is quite faster than, than what you think. And mastering, we're just going to be bringing the volumes up of your track. So, um, again, I hope this, this episode didn't sound that boring and not all over the place. I just wanted to make it sound um, like we're just having a coffee and we're talking about mixing and mastering because we're both composers and we're just having a chit-chat about it without going too technical on some uh, audio concepts that are really boring for us because we just want our music to sound right. And uh, I'm not going to be talking about gear either, like what plugin you should buy because I'm using all free plugins that come with uh, Logic. And I think that probably you have more expensive plugins that I have. So, And if you do, just use them wisely, you know. I have, I have been on both sides. I have used 
all the, the fancy plugins when it comes down to EQ and compressor, and I love them all. And I have gone all the way back to using just free stock plugins because I, I do it as a homework and I do it as well as a, as a challenge. And I know I can get uh, the same results, if not better. Uh, and I try to teach others to do the same thing. Um, so you can always indulge in different plugins later on. Uh, but don't fall into the trap that the plugin that you just bought for three hundred dollars is gonna is gonna be the one that's gonna save your mix if you don't know how to use it. So, anyways, uh, thanks a lot for hanging out here with me. If you like this episode, please uh, leave a comment or a review, or send me another message. Uh, if you want me to talk more about this type of uh, topics, uh, again, download that cheat sheet, that EQ cheat sheet at uh, stockmusiclicensing.com slash EQ and uh, really put it into use in your next mix and uh, really try to implement all of these um, uh, subjects or, or points that I've been talking here in this uh, episode today. I think it's been a long episode today. Uh, I get really passionate talking about this, uh, but I can really talk about this in the sense that I, I like to share and really try to see if I can break it down, if I can communicate this concept with you like this in a very casual way without uh, a session open. Maybe you can understand it as well differently while you're walking or driving or you're just on the go. And next time you open a session, just try to remember that uh, it's not that complicated. It's actually easier than what you think. You just have to trust your ears and trust your judgment and trust your intuition as a composer, musician, producer, and know that you can mix and master your own tracks. You know, you can uh, practice and you can do it. You can do everything by yourself and you can do it in a very efficient way. And uh, you should be able to do all of this uh, very fast and very quick and uh, you can get better results than what you think, really. Again, thanks a lot for hanging out here. Thanks for... for for all the comments, I've received so many comments and uh, so many messages uh, regarding the podcast. Thanks a lot for all the support. It means a lot to me. Thanks a lot for subscribing. Remember that every Friday I release one uh, new episode. And uh, as always, rock and roll and here's to your success. <laughs>